2: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: Action Park Media.
3: Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. I'm very excited about our guest today, Nike Master Trainer, GQ Fitness Columnist, co-founder of System of Service. Today, we have Joe Holder. Joe is also the creator of the Ocho System, which couples the view that food as fuel with positive thinking and effective workouts promotes an elevated and healthy life. You can find Joe on Instagram at Ocho System. Joe Holder, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast.
4: Uh, thank you. Happy to be here, man. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I was, it was crazy. reached out. I definitely jumped at the chance. I've uh, definitely been, been a big fan since being a kid. So happy to be here.
3: I'm a big fan of yours, too. I, I, I want to hear about uh, – I want to talk to you about the Ocho system and about how how it came to be and the principles of it. I think it's super valuable information to get out there. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um,
4: I mean, yeah, it came to be uh, – I played football in college, and it was a situation in which I was dealing with injuries – um, it Ocho kind of used to be my nickname But then it kind of morphed into this saying Of like one can help others, others can help one And I really just, basically When I hurt my ankle in college My sophomore year, and it wasn't healing You know, I went to University of Pennsylvania Where I played, I had to figure out How to fix it, and I realized Emotionally I was messed up, mentally I was messed up I was just a wreck, I think anybody Kind of at that, that age when they're dealing with A traumatic experience um, And then it proceeds from there So basically it just started as an individual philosophy for betterment. So I was like, okay, I'm going to change the way I eat. I'm going to change the way I approach my training. I'm going to change mentally what I'm doing because I also want to succeed in the classroom. And then I realized my story started to resonate with other individuals, especially when I broke my leg, my other leg, my senior year at Penn. And I was like, I'm not going to wallow like I did before because I realized just how negative thought processes affect healing. And I was like, I'm going to come back in four weeks. And they're like, Joe, your leg's broken. There's no way you're going to be able to play again. I was able to come back. So then I realized that there has to be a way that hopefully we could shift the manner in which we approach our wellness that is individual to us, but also hopefully leads to a better life. So I kept kind of building with that after school. I worked in food for a little bit. I worked for this company called Health Warrior, who um, recently got acquired by PepsiCo. But I was probably employee number four or five there. And this when chia seeds were like the thing. Like nobody knew about chia at the time, and um, one of the first companies to bring it over in a, in a meaningful way. Um, And while I was there, I learned so much about the integration in New York between health and fitness and and food. And eventually, after two years there, Nike found me and and I brought on to them full time as a Nike master trainer, but I was still kind of developing the ultra system as kind of a health and wellness philosophy and and consulting arm. And I just kept diving in into what I thought was going to be the expansion of modern wellness. So when everybody was super focused on physical, I think you start with the physical to improve everything else. So to be succinct, the ultra system basically is my personal design philosophy, which then I work with other areas and companies or ideas to bring out what I think – wellness should be integrated into and eight areas it's like physical mental social um, intellectual occupational spiritual uh, environmental and communal kind of civic and i think you know whether you want to look at it from an eastern philosophy standpoint which is you know when you want to take care of your health and your chakras the first thing you do is go for your root chakra right and that's your grounding chakra that's grounded through physical activity um, through the individual, then then gets more communal. Um, Western thought processes, I think it, it's very easy to convince people to first start with their physical before they worry about everything else, right? And that's really what it stems from. I, I'm just super, I just think wellness can be a collective action that first starts with the individual. And, you know, that's what, that's what the ultra system came from. It started with me, me trying to figure out my own shit. And then it became, you know, one can help others, others can help one. And I just think health or the right to health especially you know in America uh, should be achievable for everyone
3: yeah I mean it it constantly baffles me that <laughs> we get into a situation where you look at um, different kind of stages of economic strata and you and you see that way over here the like the the elites are constantly kind of moving doing these tiny little things just to get incremental mm. longevity and and then you look at the the mass population and it's like well we have uh, very little uh, need to move our bodies anymore yeah. so you know and i think other than if you're a pure athlete in school you know what you're not really moving that much i remember Mm -hmm. my kid said that she got a better workout walking from class to class than she did in pe and i was like that can't be right (laughs) you know that doesn't make any sense to me but it was it was true she wasn't on any sports team so she wasn't being pushed that hard which is I'm not, I'm not uh, demonizing her school, but then we also have nutrition. So I I love what you're talking about here of taking this like kind of really um, exterior point of view and looking at the whole ecosystem of like a person's life and trying to find some balance. So there's harmony in the whole thing. That's awesome.
4: Yeah. Thank you. I mean, you hit on so much. That makes sense. It's like one, what are we, half the time, what are we really talking about here, right? Like now we're in the anti-aging movement. You have these big companies that are trying to make the rich live longer. You have, you know, and God bless them, but you have, you know, whatever the bulletproof movement, all this stuff that is technically pushing the better, the ones that are already good to be better. And I think we're overlooking key aspects because when you are well off, it really comes down to you as the individual. I call it the apathy of the affluent. If you, for the most part, have the means and you're not taking care of yourself, you got to look yourself in the mirror. But then we think that applies to people that don't have the relative means or the ability, right? So to that, that's like the inequality of inequity. It's like very hard for somebody to overcome inertia or social determinants if they are set up in environments that make it so difficult to do so. And I think we need to have an honest conversation about who's being left behind um, in these in these arenas and, and to understand that, you know, whatever the bootstrap myth, Horatio Auger myth, like it's bigger than just pulling people up by their bootstraps. It's like we should set up environments for best success. Like the, whether kids, you know, in New York, right, recently talking about food, they, they did a little bit of a study where they realized that they, the kids who they were feeding, because kids were hungry, didn't have access to food, test scores went up just because kids could eat, right? Yeah. Like, can we just allow kids to fucking eat? You know what I mean? And then the kid can't eat, so then you want to blame the kid, whether it be – I don't care if it's a white kid, black kid, Hispanic kid, poor kid. It's really a class thing. You end up blaming the poor kid. You're like, oh, they're just – they are it's just innate that they're not as good. It's like the kid is hungry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, can we just – you know, but
3: – Yeah, I mean, listen, I, even today <laughs> – I have organized my life to avoid hunger at all costs. I don't want to get hungry because I make bad decisions when I'm hungry. You, if I wait to, and, 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 and I'm not knocking the intermittent fast people. That's another, if, if you figured out eating in a small window, by all means, if that's working for you, I'm happy for me when I get too hungry, I make bad decisions. And this is like, I'm talking about life decisions, not just associated with food. Like, I don't think it's coherently. Of course, a kid who's going in to study a textbook, who's hungry or malnourished or whatever it is, is not going to be as successful as a kid who's got the right food requirements. I mean, this is not rocket science.
4: Yeah, I mean, you're hitting on something, you know, uh, Journal of American Medicine, association just recently pulled out an article about the need to look at nutrition security instead of just food security. So these kids just don't need calories. They also need the proper nutrition. And when you talk about setting up, you know, your food system personally for you, you know, as as from what I've seen and, you know, interviews and things like that, it's basically you create a design that removes either temptation or the ability for you to slip up. Right. So you prepare your food a day or two in advance. You have those things that are necessary uh, because you also have the ability for time, right? So if you do have the time, able to set it up, you basically create instigation habits that then you don't have to rely on willpower. And that's what I'm a big big believer in. The more you can remove willpower, the, the better. So if whatever doing that works, intermittent fasting works, key whatever a ketosis diet works, a low net carb diet, a vegan diet, a carnivore diet. I got logged on Twitter every day, and it just seems like half these people just argue, <laughs> just just they wake up to argue whether it's you know the carnivore MD or whether you got I don't know. There's a lot of people right now on Twitter that just think their thing is the best. Um, so, but my deal is is like. Why are we not easily assimilating this into daily life past just postulating and propagating, you know? So that's why I respect what you do, e, because at the end of the day, you're honest about it. You had some hard decisions and hard conversations. You decided to make a change, but you're not saying, look at me. If I could do it, you could do it too. You're saying, I did it. This is possibly how you could do it too. But guess what? The game's kind of fucked up. So, like, let's really understand that.
3: Yeah, and and I like when you talk about quantitative versus qualitative data because what, what, what I'm hearing in a lot of this and what I, I utterly agree with is we talk about bootstraps and stuff. That's fine. If you don't know what to do, What, what, you know, okay, if you don't know where your bootstraps are, or, you know, we're talking about something that isn't quite as literal as putting our shoes on or pulling up our pants, right? We're talking about constant decisions every day that we have to make, and we're trying to design them towards some ideal of health when there's so much conflicting data out there. So you have this sea, just an overwhelming (laughs) sea of data. And if you're a kid and you're going to school and the food that's available is Taco Bell, and look, I'll eat Taco Bell occasionally. I'm not saying that Taco Bell is the devil. I'm not saying they're evil or anything like that. It can be delicious. But if that's what you're eating every day, And they've got scientists working to maximize flavor, literally (laughs) lab coat wearing scientists to go like, how do we get kids coming back here and being customers for life? Right. How do we beat that?
4: You can't beat it. My thing is this. I mean, I there's so much. I feel like, there's so much you hit there. I mean, you get to look at salt, sugar, fat. You can look at studies online that are basically just like the food chemical profiles of taste to make things better. I mean, one of the things that always fucked me up was that as a kid, I would wonder why if I get if I because my parents juiced, and I'm like, well, when my parents juice, the juice tastes different every time. can when I don't want to go to the store, the juice always tastes the same or the brand but then if I change brands of the juice the juice tastes different but it always tastes the same with the brand it's because they remove oxygen they get it in the big tanks they remove oxygen because they don't want it to go bad and then they add in a flavor profile to it later that they don't have to list on the ingredients list so back to your point is which I'm confused about right why should a kid have to make the decision for what's best for their health? Why can't we just have a situation for the? It's not for the most part that we push people towards better practices. I'm not. I know a lot of people get into the paternalism uh, argument. I'm not saying the government has to have such overreach that you can't say if I want to go to McDonald's, I go to McDonald's. What I'm saying is we shouldn't have a situation that's set up whether it's built for profit, whatever, that pushes people who need access more access to these things or need a reduced incentive to act negatively. Of course, if Taco Bell's there, I'm going to go, right? But it's the concept of like food swamps versus food deserts. The food desert thing, I understand you need the supermarket there. The bigger issue is, because people will still eat it regardless, is that you swamp out the ability for healthier choices because all around you, you see whatever KFC, you see McDonald's, you see this, you see that. So I can't expect when something has been literally manipulated to an extent to act on our, on our body, which is our body. So high tech, which has been acted on our body to make it, you know, slightly more addicting or, 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 or change our response to it. Who am I to say, you are, you're better than that. You can just beat that. You can just make a better choice. That's such an
3: oversimplification. Yeah, I, I agree. This is, this is a, because and here, here's the real problem with it today for me, having worked on this pretty much every day for the past 20 years. And I'm talking reading books, doing different diets, figuring out what works for me, successes, failures, I could say today, and I'm a dude who ha- ha- was on a TV show, so I have all the resources yeah. in the world, and nutritionists and doctors, and I get to talk to you. You know what I mean? Not everybody yeah. gets to have this conversation with you. This is, like, valuable. Yeah. For me, it's just willpower. It's just bootstraps today. But 20 years ago, I had no data. I had nothing. And I can't imagine... 20 years before that, when I was a little kid, I, I just don't see how, I don't see a solution here that's being presented. I mean, I love what you're talking about. And I think that is that is a way we should do it. But I don't see anybody in a position of power who's going like, let's really look at this. Uh, we have less reason to move and we're increasing calories and chemicals and we're getting kids to be, accustomed to these blasts of fat and sugar and less nutrition and because of that you can see the insane and i think there's a some correlation here insane spike of pharmaceuticals that we're all taking due to diet you know and so it becomes this this crazy cycle but there and then when we try and we go like well okay let's look for the qualitative data don't go anywhere we'll be right back We're, we're swamped by people arguing about veganism or carnivore.
4: Yeah, I mean, you, I'm playing base, but I've tried it all. You're easily, easy to more say I'm a Mediterranean guy. But I guess back to the ethos of your question, qualitative versus quantitative data. You can you do observational studies, which has its limits. You could do, you know, double-blind studies. Everything typically comes out the same, which is we don't completely know. It differs for a contingent upon the individual, but for the most part, you should stay away from highly processed foods, excess sugar, uh, refined carbohydrates and grains, and and look to eat a well-rounded diet. So that's step one. Step two, which a lot of people don't realize is there are disruptors in the environment that lead to increased chance of obesity. Right? So I look at it as environment. It's literally all environmental design. What food does, Food, it changes the environment within yourself. So that's really the, what the, the basis of the microbiome concept is. There is an impact on our microbiome contingent upon what we eat. Secondly, how we approach the world and our minds. that We change the design in which our minds, through due to our mindset and our viewpoints and who we relate with. Three, we need to change our relationship with the environments in which we are in. That could be either health promoting or health deteriorating, like sick, sick building syndrome. If poor people who live in poor buildings get flu-like symptoms because simply of the building that they're in, so they can't be healthy. So my thing is, if you just, it has to start with you. So my my process is, is the decision is the foundation of action, right? We have to have people make a decision and want to be healthier and to be better. Then it becomes, okay, can I actually overcome or can I do it myself, which you hinted at? But how we start is, it will always be later a top-down approach, whatever, Reaganomics, et cetera, where hopefully you have people later in charge who are like, okay, this is fucked up. Like, for instance, you know, the the Biden administration stopped trying to fight the rule the Trump administration was doing regarding if certain poor families get access to more food. So this past week, 25 million more people will now have access to food, just like that, right? But now with us, we say... OK, then my opinion is we go into our communities or we try to help one other person along their health journey, but understand that it's personalized. So when I say quantitative versus qualitative, what I kind of mean is there's this whole rise of the wearables, right? Which I get it. It's important. It's important to get some quantitative feedback. So as much as we hate to know, it's important to know what our weight is, important to know what our height is. It's important to know our body fat mass. It's important to know our waist-to-hip ratio. It's important to know our BMI, not as a diagnostic, but a screening tool. Get quantitative data, right? Go to the dentist. Go to the doctor. Get your physical. Understand that. Then the qualitative stuff, which when we're hit with so much information and hearsay, it's okay. Step one, what can I do and what will work for – and then I can figure out what will work for me, right? So then it's how do I actually feel after I eat? What is my mental state? What is also my energy levels? Can I, how, can I actually go to bed early like everybody's telling me to do? Can I, how, so it's more so the questions that you could ask yourself about how you're responding to these practices, which then you couple with data. So before you, before you worry about food sensitivities, just ask yourself after you eat something, how do I feel? Right. And then once you get better at that, then go to the doctor and figure all that stuff out. Before you, before you try to worry about your HRV, just simply when you wake up in the morning – to say am i tired am i energized what did i do yesterday what's you know so i think we get so overwhelmed because everybody's a little bit different but then we forget to look within ourselves and really check in with ourselves daily about how we're responding to certain things and then realize we have more power we have more power over over things that i think we give for granted And that then we need to understand how to create a system that's personalized for us. So I like to say an amoeba-like structure. Like I've worked with a lot of people, you know, whatever, famous, not famous, all that stuff. And everybody's a little bit different, but also everybody's relatively the same. It's a little bit of a paradox. So if you can understand the universal principles that will apply to you and then tweak it accordingly, I think that's when it becomes a lot easier.
3: Yeah. That's amazing too, because I think, I think in there you you give people um, sm- small enough tasks that they can figure out how because I, you know it's becomes it can become overwhelming for somebody to try to go like oh my god I got to restructure my entire life this is like it could be so overwhelming you can't even do it it's daunting or something like that but but the way you're talking about it I think that you're you're approaching like intuitiveness in a natural way which i think is is super valuable it took me a long time to even get to the point where i could recognize that feeling of waking up tired versus the amount of energy i would have when i had some distance from the junk food that i was consuming so regularly
4: Yeah, I'd be interested to hear like how you responded to that, because I think what a lot of people run into, I call it the shitty food paradox. It's like when you eat bad food, it won't kill you immediately. You need a lot of it. And then when you eat healthy, it won't like cure you or help you immediately. You might actually initially feel kind of bad because your body's really not used to it. So what I'm always intrigued with or what people need to realize is it's like there's an orientation hump in the same way when you first go to school and start to study a little bit hard, you kind of might get frustrated. It's the same with these new practices, but um, me personally, I always advocate, I'm a big fan of like BJ Fogg, you know, like tiny habits. I think you start small. So for me, you know, for like, especially during quarantine or just for really my whole life, it was, if I control my mornings, I have a whole better day. So instead of thinking, Oh, how am I going to have a good day? I'm like, I'm just going to focus on the first hour or two of my day and figure out, you know, for me, that's focusing on digestion, that's focusing on my mind, that's getting a little movement. And then I realized how I control other areas of my day. So with the, with, you know, I think for advocating towards betterment as a, as it pertains to to personal health, it's find those things that act as a, act as a catalyst. And as much as we want to overcomplicate it, it's really a situation. If you can, it's like control your activity, Control your food And then for the most part To go a little bit better My belief is this To be healthy It's often more important About what you're not nowadays what you're not doing rather than what you are doing if you have excessive whatever performance or aesthetic goals if you really want to put on a lot of muscle you want to be a great runner that that type of thing that one's really more about what you do you have to add you have to add extra you have to get those extra gym sessions in those extra miles. but to be healthy for the most part is not that there are activities that you should be often doing more of it's just that you need to do enough and you need to remove the things that are either not allowing you to do the minimum effective dosage to promote health or are taking away from your health. Right. So it's not that I need to sleep more, you know, is that, Oh, I need to be on my phone a little bit less so I could go to sleep on time and make sure I get enough hours. It's just, it's not, you know, you need it whatever between seven to eight It's not a good thing to get 10 to 12. We're not telling you to get more, we're telling you to get enough, you know, for hi- overhydration, is just as bad as dehydration. I'm not telling you to drink more water to like dilute, you know, whatever the electrolytes in your blood. I'm telling you to drink enough. So I'm saying <laughs> drink less of certain things you shouldn't be drinking and you should naturally replace that with something to get enough. Yeah. So maybe some of its frameworks, it's just, I also think people have to have to maybe care or maybe think that it's something that's for them. But to yeah. me, it's sad because it's, you know, I get passionate about this, but to me, it's sad, especially as, you know, an African American, it's like, it's, it's a lot of these habits are just killing people. Like people are dying or people aren't living, I think, a full fledged life. And that's just messed up.
3: Yeah. I, I get very confounded about the rate of heart disease and, and, and I don't, I don't think it's 100% attributable to obesity, certainly not saying that, but I do think that that's a major factor. Um, And so when we look at, like, uh, the the way, you know, honestly – Cigarettes got um, a surgeon general's warning on the, on the package long before the companies admitted, like we know these are not good for you. We have a ton of evidence we've been suppressing, right? So it was generally known um, amongst all people that this thing you're doing is not healthy. I, I, I I'm flabbergasted today when. And and I don't hold health as the be-all, end-all. I don't think it's some moral position to be healthy. Not everybody has to be healthy. But I do think it it's troubling when, when we have huge factors that are contributing to uh, the number one cause of death in America is heart disease. So there's that. And then we have a ton of kids being raised, on fast food and, and junk food and only processed food that's really, you know, that's their source of, of nutrition. Um, and then the conversation is, well, it's, you know, it's, it's, you can also be healthy and obese. And I just go like, n- now we're misleading people. Now, you <laughs> know, n- now we're getting into an area where we're being dishonest. It's not even about capitalism at that point. It's just truly dishonest, you know? Um, and, and, I, and I get scared. And then it's like, well, I know there are a ton of people who have the desire to change and have run into hurdles and roadblocks that have slowed them down. And so I think it's important to get them this message. And I, I love what you're talking about with like, it, it does take desire as the first thing. But if we go back earlier, that desire seems like it's being attempted to be kind of beaten out of people
4: yeah i mean you hit on so many so many good things i mean it's like step one i think is kind of being honest when you say i don't believe that's a fascinating concept i don't believe that there's an innate morality associated with being healthy i'm not kind of of that i suppose ancient greek position but i do believe it is there is a morality as a society to enable your citizens to make, make the choice to be easiest possible to be healthy. So I'm not, if I see, you know what I'm saying? Like if I see somebody that's overweight,
3: I'm not not going to judge them. Right. Yeah. But you, you, I think the
4: U S as a Republic needs to take a moral stand and say, we should do whatever is necessary to make our society healthy.
3: I mean, there's, there's so much there. If, if, if the point of the government is the protection of its people, I, I, I feel like we're, we're, we are definitely getting into territory where it's like, you're working against us here. What's, what's <laughs> you know what I mean? Which, which I, I don't necessarily know that they aren't typically working against us. So, I, so I, I I don't know what to say about that, but, but, but yeah. And so it comes down to guys like you and me. And again, I go like, Man, if my wife came home today and said, you can start smoking again, I might start smoking again. I'm not saying I would (laughs) because I I could I could see it hindering my performance in the gym and having all these other problems. And then I get the smokers off. So so maybe I don't. But. I see people smoking today and I get a little jealous and I'm like, I bet he's really enjoying that cigarette. Now there's nobody who's convincing themselves today that smoking is healthy, but we yeah. did I, I have like posters of guys from like the first and second iterations of the tour de France. And those dudes would smoke cigarettes before they'd go <laughs> up the mountain. Cause they thought it opened their lungs. Yeah.
4: Yeah. You got, you had doctors in, in, endorsing it. You had NFL quarterbacks at halftime smoking. I mean, you bring up some interesting propositions, especially as somebody who you know used to be overweight or obese. I don't really believe you could be, for the most part, unless you take in a certain components obese and healthy. You can be overweight and healthy because a lot of that has some culture issues and some screening issues and ethnic issues. But uh, And in the same way, you could be skinny and unhealthy if you're not taking care of yourself appropriately. But for us to embrace... Uh, uh, excessive body positivity instead of body neutrality right so before we were demonizing way too much saying you had to look a certain way pushing something now the pendulum has swung so far the other way where we're saying everything is okay what it is everything is not okay right like you can't just have blatant body positivity if it has health implications or it's a result of a bit of whatever, laissez-faire situation by a government not taking care of you. Now, I'm not saying government's necessarily against us, but I'm not saying they are proactively enabling us to be better. So then is it, maybe it's on us and just micro communities, whatever, to, to figure out what it is that we have to do. But for the most part, I don't understand why we just find it acceptable. If we understand if obesity to an extent has been classified as a disease we understand the systemic inflammation process that now we're just like oh it's whatever it's fine everybody's good it's like no you have to have hard conversations with yourself in the same way if my body fat is too low even if I look good and I know that has negative implications on my health my dad at a point in my life had to look at me he was like yo you have to put fat on your body like I get it aesthetics it might be fine but for your health especially your brain long-term, you need to put on a little bit of weight, right? And I understood that, and I accepted it, right? So it's it's very intriguing proposition where it's like we need to be able to have hard conversations. We need to be honest about what's going on. Uh, we need to be, I think, uh, empiricists, which is constantly questioning but accepting data as it comes in and changing our behaviors that associate with that. But I think we're lucky because we get to spend a lot of time, like, in the weeds with this stuff, right? So um, that's what I I think I'm lucky with because I do stuff both front-facing and back-facing. So I'm able to, whatever, be an Nike master trainer, train with all these folks, et cetera. Then also be in the weeds as a reporter for GQ, be in the background, you know, consulting these companies and understanding the difference between what we're kind of told and the real world. And at the end of the day, for whatever reason, public health messaging does not connect with people in the real world because you have all these zealots online that are like, why does the government never tell us to eat our fruits and vegetables? I'm like, the CDC website, all this says is to eat fruits and vegetables. But for whatever reason, we aren't connected. It isn't connected. Well, so the but, and becomes, then and we have
3: the movement that's telling us fruits and vegetables are poison, too. Oh, so. uh,
4: that fucking thing, man.
3: You know, it's it's, like, it's, <laughs> they're, 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 we are awash with with conflicting information it becomes very tricky
4: but even at the end of the day it's this like you're talking but basically you're referencing for people who maybe listening don't know it's like the plant paradox is basically a guy like that says there's certain plants that might be trying to kill us when we eat them a lot of this time or there's anti-nutrients a lot of those can be removed by like whatever cooking soaking you processing your food in the right way but there's also the theory that the reason there's also you know another theory that the that the reason we are healthy is because sometimes these plants don't want to be eaten. They still have vital nutrients that are good for us, but these kind of ways in which they're slowly trying to kill us is actually a positive stress that our body responds to. And we get healthier because the plants are also trying to kill us. It's, so it's similar like,
3: to a vaccination. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right?
4: Yes. Yes. It's a eustress, a low dose. <laughs> right. So it's like there's ancient stressors that act as vaccines and then it's, of course, except medicine and, and, and its beneficial practices. But like anything, it's a, it's a neutral tool. It could be used for good and bad. With all that being said, it's once you get in the weeds, you know, after you have your five servings, three servings of vegetables, whatever, two servings of fruit a day, and then you start to realize, oh, I, mean, I don't really respond that well to that fruit or that vegetable. That's fine. But to be like, you should never eat fruits and vegetables. are trying to kill you. It's like, really? That's where we are right now? It's just like, what?
3: (laughs) Yeah. It's so confusing. Okay. Let me ask you this. I I personally, and, and, and simply because I've done it a couple of times and it was um, basically impossible to sustain. And so I then wound up 10 steps earlier than where I started. So I, and, And again, if it works for somebody, I say go for it, but I don't really advocate exercise as weight loss, for weight loss. I I do think people should be having some minimum of movement of their body every day. And because um, there's so much less uh, literal or practical reasons to do that innately that it requires exercise. So I'm not saying don't exercise. But but uh, and I'm talking about extremes where I uh, rode a bicycle for 8 hours a day for 2 years Jeez. straight 6 days a week in an effort to lose weight and then the minute I stopped riding my bicycle I gained weight and mm-hmm. and so but I do think for for the amount of people that are out there that are truly sedentary do you have any recommendations about beginning what what somebody should do Somebody who doesn't really move, who's like walking to a car or, you know, walking from their TV to their fridge, where should they start to get movement in?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's a great concept you bring up. I mean, basically, I think people, what people fail to realize is that research typically shows uh, exercise is health-promoting, and it's good for weight management. For weight loss, you really have to take other things into consideration because for the most part, exercise isn't really going to burn, for most people, 20% of your daily caloric expenditure, right? What you really need to look at is what they call NEAT, which is non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Basically, how many calories are you burning or you're moving throughout the day that is outside of exercise? And then exercise helps basically um, your underlying structures and helps you, say, process food better. It's a health-promoting activity. So what you're talking about is for most people that are sedentary, right? So understand that difference between sedentary and that you don't exercise. Sedentary is probably you spend most of your day, like probably either sitting or relatively stationary. Even if you do exercise, you can be sedentary. So my philosophy is something I call exercise snacks. I remember back in 2012, I was super inspired by this study that they looked at helping control blood sugar in diabetic patients. They saw if they broke up, movement throughout the day instead of one say 40 minute session they did two 20 minute sessions it helped improve blood sugar and then research continuously has shown that small movement throughout the day typically can help improve health um so if you my thought is this especially if you're working from home or you have more control of your mornings or your evenings 10 to 20 minutes of activity per day will go a very long way think of you you're, you're an athlete for the sport of life right it's not tennis it's not football you don't need you know you don't need to be jacked i almost made remember the titans joke there but I, won't. I, was, I, was, I was it's a hood classic you know it's a good classic but you can get away with 10 to 20 minutes of movement a day so the thing is when you stand up and you just you know you're in the kitchen for a little bit, get a set of air squats in, get some nice easy stretches in, you know, do 30 seconds of high knees, some jumping jacks. Even when you're sitting, you know, there's little posture activities that you can do. So to keep it succinct, it's think about three times a day doing little exercise circuits for five to 10 minutes, and it'll totally change, right? Maybe you could go outside at lunchtime, go for a walk, get some sun. You know, help improve your circadian rhythms, you know, get the vitamin D, get breath in. But it's also just life. It's also the thought process in which I want everybody to realize is that sometimes it takes the joy out of all these things because we tell you it needs to be regimented because you, you have to do it for health. My thing is, how about you just do it for you? How about you say to yourself, I am not maybe I'm not on this earth just to work all the time and then do nothing else. Maybe I want to bring joy back into my life. Maybe I want to eat a little bit healthier, not because the doctor's telling me, but because it could be a joyous activity with my family. Maybe I want to start moving my body, not because I know I need to move my body, but I get some joy or happiness through this activity that will then, of course, help make me you know, feel a little bit better. But start small. Exercise snacks really are game-changing. You know, I think we're all busy. I can't work out as much as I, I would like to, but I say to myself, I'm going to take you know 20 minutes in the morning for light stretching cardiovascular activity 20 minutes later in a day maybe i'll try to do some strength work or you know run a 5k but i don't try to make it this you know over overwhelming experience that really isn't attainable or consistent
3: yeah yeah that i mean that that that's that's really important um when i hear about people like i gotta kill myself in the gym every day or you know for me i just go like i I've done that. I've killed myself in the gym. You can't do it forever. You you break something, you hurt something, you can't, then you're out. Then getting back is tough. Um, and, and I will say to back up what you're, what you're talking about again, when I started health was, it had nothing to do with health. So, so I, I don't really tend to push health because it wasn't really a realistic goal for me at the time. Today, I have health as a goal. I'm not I'm not looking for to live forever, so I'm not one of these people, you know, um, but I but I do want to like today I feel like I have a shot at least average lifespan and I I didn't have that shot 15 years ago. I really didn't. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. So that's important to me. Uh, But I think there's just a lot of people who are getting up every day and and like just sick of it. And that's what I can relate to because that was my experience too. And for them, I, I, I I would utterly back up what you're saying and just say like, it can be hard for me today to do something like what you're talking about. The thing that keeps me coming back to it is I know from you know doing something like that for the past few thousand days in a row that I'll feel better after. So yeah. even if I go into it and it's like whatever mental fog is slowing me down and going, no, stay in bed, just sit and watch TV, don't do anything, just go go to work and don't exercise, I know I'm gonna feel so much better after and that's what gets me motivated it's that feeling of good so it is utterly for myself I really really think I love the idea of exercise snacks I mean half the time when I was eating not the way I'm eating today I I would eat out of boredom it was just like I'm bored so I'm going to eat and the idea of swapping that for a healthy habit of like just stand up and sit down on the couch uh, you know for a few minutes that's awesome
4: Yeah. Yeah. I think it goes a long way. And I think what a lot of people have to realize is like in the heart of hearts, even, even for me, you know, I'm lucky to be in shape, but I have those days or those mornings where I'm like, fuck, I don't want to, you know, I've dealt with my my own mental you know, issues or I'm I'm like, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to move. I don't want to, for me it's not eating, which is often just as bad. like, I don't want to eat. I don't want to do anything. Then it's just like, okay, it's kind of like one foot in front of the other. It's like, okay. It's like, you kind of just walk the voice out the door. It's like, all right, you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat later, but how about we just jump rope for five minutes? Like, so, you know, I might be a little bit, you know, my appetite's where it needs to be, whether I don't get voracious or maybe I just want to eat. And then it's like, okay, then you eat. And it's like, and you just take it a kind of a step at a time. So with that being what you're hinting at is, I don't know, it's like not, not thinking that everything has to be achieved at once, but it's also this, it, you can turn micro failures into bigger wins, right? So never think of it as a longitudinal approach. If you lose one day, that doesn't mean you have to lose tomorrow. And if you win today, it makes it a little bit easier to win tomorrow. Failures only mess you up if they add up, right? So just don't let it add up. So the thing is, just never have three bad days in a row. If yeah. you never have three bad days in a row, you'll be okay. But remember, it's okay to have a bad day.
3: Yeah. That's beautiful, Joe. Joe, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, and and I really think what you're doing is important, so thank you.
4: Yeah, man, thank you. I I really do appreciate it as well.
3: Yeah, I look forward to doing this again sometime.
4: All right, brother. Peace, man.
3: And now for the Q&A. Here is a question from Robert.
2: Hi, Robert.
1: He says, I have been listening to your podcasts and really enjoying them. I get the impression you don't recommend coffee or caffeine. And I wanted to know your thoughts and insights on coffee
3: or caffeine. Okay. Cool question, Robert. I don't really recommend anything. Um, I drink coffee and caffeine. I, I I will say, um, if I ever feel like I need a, a pre workout drink, I just throw back a five hour energy drink and, um, and then I get to tell my wife that I got a good dose of vitamins because those those things have vitamins in them. Um, I don't... I, I recommend... It really... I feel like I'm talking really broadly on this um, podcast, and in doing so, I don't tend to recommend specifics so much simply because I think specifics get into different specific goals, and I don't know what your goals are. I have no idea. Like, You could possibly have some bad reaction to caffeine. I'm not going to tell you to drink caffeine. Uh, Dr. Mike Isratel doesn't drink a lot of caffeine. I went to his house. He had a ton of caffeine-free Diet Coke, which to me is offensive (laughs) simply because the cans are so ugly. That color, there's nothing in my opinion that's appealing about that kind of shit gold color can is it it's like rust or iron <laughs> i've never thought of it like I, that I, but I it think is they're not as horrifying appealing. they're horrifying i think a a a nice silver can of diet coke looks like it's going to taste delicious the perfect red uh regular you know fructose filled coke also looks delicious the fuck is with the caffeine free diet Coke? They're just trying to make you not want to drink it. So like, I would never, ever drink that ever in a million years. I would never drink that. If, if you didn't have water and I was really, really thirsty, I might not drink a caffeine free diet Coke. Um, meanwhile, I happen to love regular diet Coke not really allowed to have it in my house because my wife thinks it's going to make me grow a third nipple, but I like it. And so, um, on the rare occasion that I go out to dinner And you want to have, and you know, my wife's got a cocktail and a glass of wine and she's already ordered her second cocktail. And I'm sitting there with a fucking glass of ice water. And by the way, I don't like ice water either. I would rather have it room temperature, but they don't really do that. And then you got to pay for the bottle of room temperature water. And you just spent 11 bucks on a bottle of water when they're giving it out for free, but it happens to have ice and you don't want to drink that. And, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to live a little too. It's not just about you and your 14 drinks. I'm going to have a beverage too. I'm going to order it from the bar. I'm going to get it in a highball glass with a little twist of lime, and that's going to be a Diet Coke, and I'm going to feel like a man. This is what I go through. This is, these are the thoughts that are running through my head kind of at all times. So um, we were talking about caffeine. Uh, I'll drink caffeine. I like caffeine. I'm just not going to tell you to do it because I don't know if you like it. If if you um, don't have a caffeine intolerance, if it doesn't like make your hand shake. By the way, sometimes I overdo it with the caffeine. My hand shake, I don't drink anymore. Um, and I also can affect my sleep. I, I don't think that's true for every... My uh, 16-year-old daughter, I caught her over spring break drinking a cup of coffee at 8 p.m. And I was like, number one what are you doing drinking coffee? And she told me her age for like the 18th time that day. And then I said, okay, but what about 8 p.m.? And she said, it does nothing to me. I don't really believe her that it does nothing to her, but I think there are probably some people that it does nothing to. So you can drink caffeine all day long. It doesn't really affect you. Fine. Good for you. You're better than me. I can't drink caffeine kind of like, you know, when I talk about, I go out to dinner once, twice a year and have a Diet Coke. I know... It's it's a 50-50 shot. I'm not going to get a great night's sleep that night. And I'm willing to do it. I wouldn't trade it for a fucking caffeine-free Diet Coke. Even if it was served to me in a glass. Because I know where it comes from. It comes from that ugly, rust-color shit can. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't recommend caffeine. But I certainly drink it. Is that fine?
1: I think it's a very honest
3: answer. Okay. Well, thanks for your question. If you have a question you would like me to answer on this podcast, please submit it to AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.